As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to The Athletic MBA Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to Tampering. We're just a beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. Sam Tampering. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. To be able to bring people together. What do you do, baby? Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation into tampering accusations. And the message to executives in the league is stop talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Is right or wrong? Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. Very <laughs> <laughs> awkward to even talk about it. I can't even mention teams anymore. That's what I like to play with Kevin Durant. The trial you want with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. It's not rocket science. I tamper with the guys. Mm-hmm. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. I'm Sam Amick, NBA National Writer at The Athletic. Here as always with Fred Katz out east, Anthony Slater out west. Gentlemen, we got NBA Finals time. NBA Finals time, man. It's an exciting time of year. We got Boston, we got Golden State. We watched that game last night um, and that's been well chronicled, I think, at this point on this podcast network, how that went down. So we're not going to hit the rewind button too much in terms of how the Celtics survived. We want to spin it forward. But uh, immediate quick thoughts before we get into, we're going to do five questions, break this thing down from every single angle and and see how you guys feel. But immediate thoughts to the matchup, Warriors, Celtics. What do you think? It is an intriguing one, I think, uh, because... I, you know the Warriors were more dominant in their in their run through the West. I mean they won five games, six games, five games. Whereas you know Boston had a couple seven game series. Um, so, and you know the Warriors are the public team. I think that's probably why they're the betting favorite in Vegas. But Boston historically, and we'll probably get into this, does give the Warriors trouble um, and are really well built. You would think to defend the Warriors. So. Uh, it should it profiles as a really good series that should go deep. This version of the Celtics played the Warriors once during the regular season and they won by 32. 32, 22. 22. I can't add. I can't subtract actually. I don't even know the difference between adding and subtracting apparently. <laughs> when we're saying when we're saying this version of Boston though is that just the- because since they've gotten better 
the post and and also they had Derek White. I mean, they played in mid December. They played again mid mid March. Derek, Derek White was Derek White had had zero points on zero for eight shooting. Oh, uh, oh yes, he did. I, I put that in my preview. We can get. Can to we that contextualize this but- real quick? And hopefully, I don't derail things. But is this the game where Steph only played fourteen minutes? Yeah, this is when Marcus Smart. Injured as well. Oh, that's the injury yes. game. Yeah. Yes. And, okay. and the other and the other time they played was mid December. Uh, and that was a Warriors four point win, which dropped Boston to 14 and 15. Uh, and getting past the fact that I can't do math, I, I just I don't think the regular season results mean anything for projecting the finals, uh, because of all the context that we just provided. Uh so I am uh yeah, I'm with you guys. I think Boston's defense is is kind of engineered to play against anyone, especially an offense with uh, you know, the most dynamic, you know, shooting point guard to ever touch a basketball. I, I never think that the that the you know regular season record necessarily um, you know, tells us plenty, but the tape does. And there's a lot of tape in both those games. I went I rewatched both of them. I was at both the games. Um and there's a lot and we'll get to it in our five questions, but there's you you could take a lot of data from I think what we saw at least you know from the film perspective. First of all, Fred, before we keep it moving, I didn't properly introduce you. I mean, I for me to overlook the long and storied history that you have as a beat writer of the Boston Celtics was not fair. How how long were you on that beat again? I was on that beat for as long as you can possibly be on a beat without covering a game. <laughs> so I came on. They Quick lost. Story, yeah, tell the people. They lost the 2018 Eastern Conference Finals on like a Friday, I think. And my first day was that Monday, three days later, jumping on at MassLive.com. And I was covering the Thunder previously. And then I and then I left the Friday before media day. So I I Which did job a, was that? That was when I went to the Athletic. The Athletic. As you okay. know them. Nice. Uh, and so I was I was there for for three months, but I, I I really was unintentionally the worst employee ever because I got there, and as you guys know, you get to you get to a job. I'm like you you have your vacation planned for August, so I was like, you know, when I took the job, I had no intention of leaving. So I I get there, I cover summer league, I uh, I take vacation, and then you know, then I'm gone. <laughs> I, I didn't mean to put you out in the streets like that, but that, well, that always cracks me it's up. It's true. It's unbelievable how nice the people were there. They could have killed me on the way out, and they were so well, nice. Well, they dealt with Jay King, so they, you know, they've been through a lot. All right, let's get into our five questions. Um, you know, fairly you know, generic look, I guess, at it, but but we are gonna dive deep and, and get your guys' thoughts. Um, number one, let's just look at, at key matchup. And it's fine if we have crossover here, but Slater, I will throw it to you if, if you gotta, you know, spotlight um, you know, and, and look at the boxing approach to this thing, mano y mano, what are you looking at in terms of a key matchup? Yeah, we could go twenty five directions almost. Um, but I think it starts. Everything starts with the stars. So I think on either side of the floor, you're talking Wiggins guarding Tatum, and we saw Wiggins against Luca in the West Finals, and um, you know that he's going to shoulder that load, and um, they're going to allow him to. I think mostly during large chunks of the games, operate in a one-on-one uh, scenario, and you know it's on him to try to make. Tatum inefficient. Tatum can have inefficient games. Didn't he have one? He was like three of 18 at one point against Miami or something. Uh, he did. Yeah. If you force him into tough jumpers regularly, that's a win. Even if physicality too, he's, he's physical himself, but, but he does sometimes for some reason, you know, react negatively to physicality. It's it's that, uh, 
wristband or whatever he wore last night, the Kobe one, right? He 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 kind of has that. I think at times, like you know, it's gonna look really sweet if I stroll into this 19 foot fadeaway and bury right. it in his spinning eye. fadeaway. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so you know, that's that's important. The Warriors need Wiggins to do the same thing he did. You know, not only to Luca, but really go all the way through the playoffs. It's just late, make life relatively difficult for stars in one-on-one settings. Other side, smart on uh, Curry to me. You got to just have somebody at the head of the snake. Dylan Brooks, you know, Fred, you watch it. Like, you know how Memphis loves that Dylan Brooks matchup. He's going to navigate screens. He's going to, you know, touch you the whole way. He's going to annoy you. He's going to, you know, at least be somewhat cognizant of all the off-ball tricks and actions. Well, Marcus Smart is that like times four. But Marcus Smart had a really bad ankle twist, and he had a foot sprain at the start of uh, the the conference finals. He was talking last night. He said he was what sixty five, seventy percent. So you got to be relatively healthy to to chase Steph Curry around for two weeks. So I, I'm just looking at his health. Fred, does yeah. that one land with you, or are you looking another direction? No, that one lands with me completely. I mean, just adding on to to Slater, the thing with with Wiggins guarding Tatum. I mean, part of the reason that he was good against Luka is not necessarily because he limited him. It's because he did a good enough job guarding him one-on-one that the Warriors could stay at home against the other shooters on Dallas. Good enough, by the way. As, as great as Wiggins was, I, I think we got to remember that the numbers were still bonkers. But, well, but yes, very solid. Well, good, good enough against Luka is unbelievable. I mean, that's the highest comp. Luka is such a tremendous player. You're not stopping Luka. All you can do is hope you guard him well enough that he succumbs to your game plan. And that is exactly what Wiggins did. I mean, he did the exact job that he was supposed to do, and that was how the Warriors were able to play it, where they turned Luka into more of a scorer than a facilitator. I think Tatum's biggest development this year is just the way that he goes through his reads. We saw it a number of times, even in Game 7, where He just knows where to look now. When the double team comes, he knows how to find a guy and make the right, correct, and quick read. When when a guy cuts, he knows where to look and he knows where to find that guy. He's just he's excellent at the intuitive passes now. And if you have somebody who can guard him one on one, similarly to how Wiggins did with Luca, I think it just kind of you're right. You can you can end up with him potentially taking you know, I'm putting on air quotes, bad shots because he's capable of making bad shots. Like he could, he could take seven pull up 19 footers and he could hit five of them in a night that could just, that could happen in game one potentially. Uh, but, but if you're able to guard him that way, then you don't have to worry about the other shooters the Celtics have out there. You don't, you don't have to worry about the other potential secondary playmakers the Celtics have out there for the, for the same degree. I mean, for my, for my matchup to watch, I was just going to say, uh, Boston's bigs against the war, whatever the Warriors are doing on the perimeter. You know, Robert Williams did not look like himself in game seven. Not at all. And he's, he's another guy who's been dealing with injuries. Like really bad. Yeah. He looked really bad. And, you know, I just, I have absolutely no idea if that's something that's going to smoothen out over the next three days. And he's going to be looking like regular old Robert Williams in game one, but Boston likes to play with, with Williams and, and Horford together. Uh, and they like to make it so like I, you know, I imagine if that's what they're doing and everybody's healthy, you have you have Horford on Draymond and and he can guard the back ends of those Draymond screens and all that. And he can venture out to the perimeter and do an, an excellent job or he can he can drop back and do an excellent job. Uh, and then you have Williams on the weak side. But like 
if Robert Williams isn't capable of of helping from the weak side like he does when when Golden State gets downhill, it's just a it's just a different game. And when Golden State goes goes really small, I wonder how that means the Celtics will will want to will want to react. Well, you know, thankfully for the Warriors, Draymond Green was doing some voodoo stuff uh, in, in this last couple of days. You know, you think about it, he he comes out and tells the TNT crew that he thinks the Warriors are going to be playing the Celtics. He pisses off the heat just enough to inspire them to force a game seven, which when you unpack all of it, you kind of look at that and go, all right, uh, those are the kinds of things you never know if they actually played any real part. But lo and behold, the Celtics that, you know, who were already battered and bruised and limping to this East finals finish line have to play another tough game and now don't have the kind of turnaround they could have had if they finished it off in six. Um, I will say just to finish on this first question, matchup wise, the Jalen Brown versus whoever it is matchup is going to be interesting. You assume it'd be Clay Thompson. Um, Yeah, Clay to start. I I talked to an executive last night for one of those kind of anonymous pieces that that Josh Robbins and I are going to do with our guy Darnell Mayberry. And the exec made the point that he was looking at Draymond and just wondering how the Warriors are going to you know, kind of execute him uh, and use him defensively. Uh, you know, might they throw him at Jalen at times? Um, you know, especially if you have a Robert Williams on the floor that that is not the rim threat, you know, because he's hobbled that he typically would be. Um, just the Draymond uncertainty, which is what he does to opposing offenses when, you know, you don't know when he's coming and where he's coming from. And then Jalen in general, being a guy where when we talk best players in this series, of course, we're going to go Steph, we're going to go Jason. You know, Jalen is not only incredibly talented, but proud as hell. And, and you know, wouldn't shock me if he ended up having some nights that, you know, in the office uh, in these finals that are better than Tatum. To your point, they uh, they put Warriors put Draymond on Jalen Brunson, which I think was a big surprise to Dallas in the last series. And, you know, a lot of that was because Dallas likes to run some guard to guard screen action. I think the Warriors wanted to shut that up a little bit. Um, so but they will happily the Warriors will always use Draymond Green creatively and and they don't care positionally they just what matchup means he can make the most defensive impact okay he's guarding that person and then they'll figure out the matchups around that right all right guys moving on here I'm going to switch up the questions a little bit um just because I think it flows a little bit better um second question about these finals let's get into the numbers a little bit is there a stat to watch in your opinion, that that speaks volumes about this matchup and, and what might happen here. Yeah, I I I'm going with the the turnover rates. Like the the Warriors are turning the ball over on 15 percent of their possessions in the playoffs. The Celtics are turning the ball over on 14.6 percent of their possessions in the playoffs. It's basically the same. They turn the ball over in differently weird ways. Like I I don't necessarily like it when we characterize the Warriors' turnovers as thoughtless. Or 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 synonyms of that word. You're one of those people get defense about the Warriors. They're sloppy as hell, Fred. No, but here's the thing: the passes that look sloppy when Steph throws it right into a defense, they're the same passes. That that mentality, that sort of play, the willingness to make that play, also allows for the same stuff that we refer to as beautiful offense. When when Steph like sifts it through two defenders and finds Otto Porter in the corner, like that's. It's the same thing. You don't get the beautiful pass without the risk of the turnover. So, like, 
that's that's baked into the way that they specifically play. But with Boston's turnovers, sometimes it's like, look, I I love watching Jalen Brown. I think he's an excellent player. But sometimes it's just like for like two seconds, he just forgot how to dribble. Like his hand just stopped moving up and down right. in relation to the ball. And it's it's very weird. And and I I wonder how the turnover battle is going to play out in this series because Boston is capable if Golden State shifts into sloppy for them sort of uh, a sort of game. And and, and I guess I, I sort of oversold it because there are certainly certain games where they'll turn it over 20 times and you're like, what the heck is happening here? Uh, but Boston's defense is, is capable of getting into passing lanes, is capable of fighting over screens and making things uncomfortable, getting into the right places. And if they can they can get out and and they can move and they can score off of those turnovers, that's that's a big deal. But the problem is that they can't just like let let dribbles go flying everywhere too. Um, so I'm 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 really curious to see how that's going to play out because I think we kind of have a perception of the Warriors being this extremely high turnover team, which they are. They were 29th in the league in turnover rate during the regular season. Uh, and and a lot of those are live ball turnovers, which is a much bigger problem than just stepping out of bounds. But, but you know, Boston is in the playoffs is basically doing the same thing, right? Uh, so I'm I'm curious. Listen, to see how that anybody plays who's out. watched Ime Udoka's pressers knows how frustrated he's been by the turnover side of their game. I mean, the other night Jalen Brown had a bunch. Ime pulled him aside. I think at halftime, essentially, you know, told him to shut it down. We we can't have any more of this. And then I thought it was fascinating when Jalen was asked about that exchange. So you know, Ime had sh- uh, shared the exchange in the press conference. When Jalen was asked about it, he almost seemed like, like you know, had this kind of vibe of like, "Don't pick on me," because he told the, the reporters, "He goes, no, I think Ime's message was to the whole team. It wasn't, I wasn't just me doing it, you know." So these guys are, they know it's part of the identity, and they're trying to fix it, and, and that is certainly, you know who, I think, you know, who leads the playoffs in turnovers by was, more than or by eighteen turnovers more than anybody else. Tell me, Tatum, Jason Tatum. Wow, look at you yeah. breaking narratives. Seventy-seven turnovers in eighteen games. Uh, including some really bad ones in that Heat series. But, you know, and you look at the splits, Celtics 12 playoff wins, 12 turnovers a game. Celtics six playoff losses, almost 17 turnovers a game. They're much more beatable when they're turning over because you don't want to go against their half-court defense, right? And it's the same with the Warriors. I mean, they're much better defensively when they are not giving up three-on-twos, you know, the other way when they're set. So I, Fred is right. Like, the turnover battle in this series it might mirror – basically you know whoever wins and loses um and for the warriors you know how there's always a um you an adjustment to the you know maybe in the first two games of a series to what your past series is compared to you know your current one where i think teams really struggle with the warriors offense in like game one and game two because it's just so different than than the offenses they were playing right the warriors just played a team that does not turn you over and doesn't turn it over. Uh, and I just think this will profile to them closer to Memphis. And Memphis gave you know the Warriors much bigger problems because they're longer, they're more athletic, they're more active, but they're also sloppier on the other end. So just that adjustment in the first couple games uh, is something to watch. The, if you guys could... You look like you wanted to say something. I was going to go to the stat that I was going to... No, use. tell me. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to... Well, I was gonna, I, I'm flipping away from turnovers for for the stat. Of, you good? Uh, Let's hear your stat. 
Yeah, no, I wrote the, this is the one I, I use in the preview that I wrote, which, by the way, people can go on The Athletic and read. Uh, but so Andrew Wiggins and Kavon Looney are tied for the NBA lead in the playoffs for offensive rebounds. They both have 42 offensive rebounds. It's, uh, particularly Wiggins, crazy on the glass. Um, and I just, Boston doesn't protect uh, their defensive glass that well. Um, they were 16th in the regular season. Even though they're really big, as we mentioned, they're not that good of a rebounding team. They've only, you know, rebounded back or rebounded 71% of opposing misses in the playoffs. That's not that great. So I just think second chance points because I do think the Warriors, as we mentioned, are going to struggle at times to score in the half court. But if they can get out and transition off turnovers and if they can just if Looney can keep just getting those just you know rebound kickouts for threes and and Wiggins there's a play in the in the game that they won in December it was the first play of the game first play of the matchup this season Wiggins has smart on him on the weak side and he just kind of sneaks past him for for a rebound tip back and that's the kind of stuff that Wiggins can do because opposing scouting reports say he's the least threatening guy don't worry about Andrew Wiggins but Andrew Wiggins is one time 20 point per game scorer, and he has found different ways to to impact the game. One of those is he's a he, he's a really good offensive rebounder in these playoffs. And uh that's my stat to watch. Yeah, one of the reasons for that too is because in in series past, they've hit a lot of small defenders on him. And he's he has done an excellent job when he's had a small on him, just reading when to crash and come in and get a tap out or or, or grab a loose ball or something like that. Also, like, man, he was just so much more athletic than anybody against Dallas. Like, he was just so obviously the most athletic guy out there. Wait, Slater, I want to ask you something about somewhat in relation to Wiggins, since we think he's going to be kind of the main guy defending Tatum. How how do you think Golden State, like, team-wise, guards Tatum? What approach do you think they take? You know, I think they switch it up, as we saw against Luka, right? I mean... They they joked about Mike Brown being like you know defensive coordinator in the booth with Draymond Green as the middle linebacker, but especially when we would sit up close in Dallas, it's it's in Memphis, it's crazy to watch the way they in game switch up their look. You know, and, and Mike Brown will go hands up basically, and it'll be like a boxing one, and and obviously they'll they'll guard screens differently. Sometimes they'll blitz it, sometimes they'll switch. I think you know, I do think this series has a chance to devolve into like kind of a switch everything small ball environment, especially if if, if Horford um, isn't doing well in space and if Rob Williams is impacted. But um, I, you know, mostly I think one on one, but I do think depending on who's on the court next to Tatum. Uh, I think they'll selectively double and just, you know, maybe shade more attention his way. Uh, the first possession that Derek White was on the court against the Warriors this season, um, th- you can see Mike Brown get up from his seat and Kaminga is on Derek White. And like a lot of times when Kaminga's on the floor, they need to guide him in every direction. It's not just like, hey, veteran knows what the scheme is. But you can see Mike Brown yell at Jonathan Kaminga, basically like, leave Derek White. And he just... When Tatum starts to drive, Tatum has the ball on the left wing. Derek White is on the right wing. Uh, when Tatum starts to drive, Kaminga just runs over and doubles. Uh, and the ball swings to Derek White, and he bricks a three. And Fred, we mentioned it earlier, 0 of 8 shooting, 0 of 5 from 3 for Derek White, wide open the whole game. So those are the times I do think more energy and more bodies will go towards Tatum. And Derek White's going to have to beat the Warriors because he's, he's going to have to shoot the Warriors out of that scheme. 
Good stuff. My uh, my quick stat here, guys, is is more uh, individual player focused. And and Slater, I'm gonna have you pull up this thing I just sent you on the chat room just to make sure my eyes are not deceiving me. Um, Steph Curry against the Celtics, and and the theme and the framing here, of course, being that if the Warriors are gonna win the title, you got to assume that Steph's got to be you know something better than good, probably great. Uh, and then, of course, we'll be talking about you know the the old Finals MVP discussion and whether or not he can finally get one. But these numbers in if you highlight six matchups before the one that he got hurt that we mentioned earlier, where he played just 14 minutes, um, the totality of those six games, 35.1 points a game, 50% from three, 53.2% overall. Um, am I tripping here? These these numbers are correct, right? Starting with a 49-point game on January 27, 2018 against Boston, um, and then spanning until December 17th. When he, uh, he he has thirty in that game, I'll, t- um, I'll tell you what I remember about these games. That forty nine point one that starts this this torrid stretch against Boston that you're mentioning was like an I believe it was an ABC Saturday night game, and it was him and Kyrie. It was this like unbelievable one on one battle where both of them were just hitting ridiculous shots back and forth. Um, the forty seven point one was during the pandemic season um with the empty arenas but that was during you could look he had 11 threes that night that was during the greatest three-point shooting stretch by far in nba history that is when over four of five games he hit 10 plus threes which if there's literally no other player in history who's had four games of of 10 or more threes and he did it over a five-game stretch um that, that was insane he had 96 threes in that month uh so you know he's had some big nights, and I, do I mean, think- yeah, that's the takeaway, right? Like yeah. Boston is as versatile as they are, as long as they are, as as you know, dominant as they are defensively. Uh, he has found a way recently to do what he does at at, at his best. You know, I and I watch I, I, again. I rewatched this December game, and and Fred, we were talking about earlier, like. You know, Boston was different defensively. They weren't as connected, but you know, it is the same players out there, and they were losing him a bunch. You know, they're the, the Warriors are just doing some of that simple off ball action, and they're looking at each other and pointing the way who's supposed to be out there. And Steph Curry's just curling right into a wide open three. Like there's three minutes left in the fourth quarter, and this is happening. And it's just, I was surprised at how many breakdowns were happening. And maybe, you know, look, it's the playoffs. They're going to be studying the Warriors. They're obviously going to be way more just invested in everything. So I don't expect just those you know, uh, egregious breakdowns re- repetitively, but this is a team that, 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 you know, has a, like you said, has allowed Steph Curry to get loose. And I just, they don't seem to guard him as well as, as maybe the reputation uh, suggests. Well, and I'll finish this question on, on this interesting note. Um, I also looked up speaking of, you know, since we're going back a few years, this was a piece I wrote and uh, when was it? October of 2018. To be honest, one of my, I remember having a lot of fun doing this story. I, I convinced some of the Warriors at the time, and these, of course, is the post-championship Kevin Durant Warriors, uh, to kind of talk about early in that regular season which teams they were, quote-unquote, afraid of. But you can't tell a player, you know, the, to talk about fear. So it was like, all right, who do you think, if you had to pick one team, could knock you off? And almost to a man... They were picking the Kyrie Irving Celtics at that time. But this quote, uh, I thought was a trip because some things have changed, but the themes remain. And before I share who said this, uh, this is the breakdown uh, of the Celtics. Boston, they've got a deep team. They've got a collection of talented scorers where it's going to be hard to switch guys. Um, 
they've got a big man in Horford who can facilitate like Draymond. They've got a great coach, a great atmosphere, a great home court advantage, and a lot of length. Those are usually the teams that give us trouble. That is one Kevin Durant talking about the Celtics at that time, obviously coached by Brad Stevens, not Ime Udoka. But most of those things remain true, no? Yes. The one thing I would say is like the Warriors you know, pretty collectively love Kyrie Irving, including obviously Kevin right. Durant at the time as a fan right, of Kyrie right, right. Irving. But That's the rest of it. If you look at the story, it, yeah. it, it's kind of a trip to read Kevin. I have him on Kyrie and on James Harden at the time, which is kind of interesting yeah. to look back on. Well, and Sam, as you know very well, it is not just Kevin who does that. How, what is Andre Iguodala's opinion of Kyrie? Oh, Kyrie thinks it's like Kyrie. I mean, I'm sorry. Andre thinks it's Kyrie and MJ for the greatest of all time discussion. Basically. So I do think yeah. Kyrie's inclusion in that <laughs> matchup, you know. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Question number three. Uh, guys, we're going to jump to the defensive one, but I'm going to make this. Let's throw an ad break. Let, let's tease. Oh, thank you. Look at you running the ship. Good job, Slater. All right. We got a quick ad break. On the other side, we're going to talk about the defensive side. This has been an extremely defensive focused postseason. Uh, the finals are going to be no different. We're going to break that side of the ball down in just a minute. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, we are back, guys. Let's talk defense with one specific request. Uh, kind of Since we don't have a coaching question in here, you know, give me your your thoughts within this context on kind of the impact of Steve Kerr and, and Udoka and, and how they run their teams on this end of the floor. But um, the Celtics end the regular season as the <clears throat> top defense in the NBA. Warriors uh, were number two. Um, since then, uh, the Celtics have gotten better in the postseason in terms of just points allowed per 100 possessions. The Warriors have gotten somewhat significantly worse, actually, just in terms of the, the numbers. Um, but both very good defenses. How how do you think this part of the, the series is going to go? I mean, I, I think Boston has the superior defense, if, if only because there are just fewer weak links to pick at. And I, I'm assuming that, like, even if Robert Williams isn't 100%, he's still good out there. And even if Marcus Smart is not 100%, He's still good out there. Like you still get capable, decent versions of of these players in terms of their baseline health. And then if they're healthy, then I, I I think it's Boston for sure. We're just Golden State, especially when they play that small lineup. They're just they're a little scabs you can pick at. You can you can screen Jordan Poole until you get Jordan Poole on the guy who who you want him to go at, and and you can have have Tatum try to go at him, or have Brown try to go at him, or have have whomever try to go at him and 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 you can kind of do a similar thing with with other guys on that roster as well um whereas with with Boston it's like Miami was trying to go with Derek White it's like 
Yeah, Derek White is your weakest defender, literally their weakest defender. Like he was just Jimmy Butler was just muscling him because yeah, Butler's so strong. But like Derek White is a is a good, capable defender. Like he, it's really hard to match up Hunt against them. I think that's why they they tend to fare out pretty well in close games when when the game kind of kind of devolves into all right. I'm going to match up. We're going to match up on your guy. You're going to match up on our guy. And, and it's just really, really hard to pull that off against Boston when they have all those good defenders out there. And, and it's it's basically any lineup construction. Like Pey- Peyton Pritchard is the one guy who they play who I'm like, okay, you can you can go with that guy. But their their bigs are excellent on the backside. Even if you get by the perimeter guys, it's like Grant Williams has become such a fantastic uh, defensive big on the backside too, along with Robert Williams and along with Horford as well. Um, they just, they are so overloaded with above average defenders. And I'm so of the belief that having an entire team of above average defenders is, is so much more important than having like a bunch of great defenders and a couple of awful ones. Cause eventually when you get to the games that moment, uh, the games that matter, against the really good teams and the really good offenses, they are going to find ways to seek out those awful defenders. And uh, Celtics just don't have them. I do think Grant Williams uh, matters in the series, uh, you know, especially if the Celtics want to maybe go small and switchy. Um, but, but, look, Boston has been by far the best defense in the league since January 1st. Uh, they, are, you know, Sam mentioned that that rating sustained itself in the playoffs, whereas the Warriors, yes, second in defense in the regular season, they've been the best offense in the playoffs, 116 rating. But you got to remember the matchups that both these two teams played in, right? The Warriors played against better offenses and worse defenses. The Celtics played in this just like gauntlet out east that was just a defensive battle. Their offensive rating isn't near what the Warriors is, but it's a good defensive rating. Like the Celtics are about to face the best offensive unit they've seen. And the Warriors are about to face the best defensive unit they've seen. So to me, instead of like, it's, I wouldn't really build this as this like, you know, super defensive battle. But the one thing I will say about the Warriors and their versatility and the combinations they can throw out there is there's, there's some cavalry potentially coming back here that, that does change what the Warriors can do defensively. Gary Payton II, pretty shockingly, is probably going to be back in, this, in the early portion of this series, which is huge, um, especially as a, I think a guy that you can put on – you can put on Brown or Tatum, but you mentioned you know, Jalen Brown's dribble earlier and, and at times the sloppy nature of it. Ain't nobody better in the league who can hound that dribble than Gary Payton II. He led the NBA in steals for 36 minutes this season. If you look at the matchup back in December, they – needed to like when they needed a defensive stop late they had Peyton out there and Andre Iguodala out there Andre Iguodala had a great game two steals two blocks in that game he stripped Jalen Brown to win it uh off his knee and Andre Iguodala is getting back in practice this week and so is Otto Porter and and there's some slight optimism I'd say that maybe you'd see all of these guys in this final series and if you do the Warriors suddenly have much more just you know, versatility options to where, to Fred's point, you could throw lineups out there where there aren't really defensive weaknesses. Slater, I'm probably going to get you aggregated here, but I feel like Iguodala is the one that we ha- we haven't had much, if any, clarity on. Folks have been acting like Otto probably, you know, is, is back. Gary, you guys reported is back uh, most likely, but where is Andre at? Yeah, um, I he, you know he's been pretty much every time I've seen him over the last few weeks, it's like stationary shooting. You know, it's 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 a lot of issues with the body. Obviously, this might be the last you know week or two of his career potentially. Um, 
and but but lately it's been this neck issue, this like kind of nerve issue, disc issue, I guess, in his neck that I think it was kind of tough for him to even turn his head at times. So they've been really slow integrating him back. But um, you did start to see over the last the week and a half, like, okay, he's doing a little bit more activity. He was out there during one of the pregames of, of the conference finals, like getting in a pregame workout, which I hadn't seen in a while. And then uh, Sunday, the Warriors did not practice Sunday. They're practicing Monday. So by the time people are listening to this, they might have a fuller update. But when when Steve was talking about guys, they want to get back and practice this week and, and, and see – Iguodala was grouped into that, so it sounds like right. they're going to try to get him back in practice. Now, more than the other two, it's going to matter how the body responds, right? Because Andre right. has come back various times this season, even looked good in a, in a game or two, and then it's like, eh, something's acting up. So he's he would be the most... I'm the most skeptical of his impact in the finals, but he is Andre Iguodala. So if somehow they get a decent version of him, that changes a lot in the finals as we've all going to come back and steal finals MVP again. Oh, no. <laughs> Peyton, no, Peyton Wiggins coming award back. this year to just ask Warriors. <laughs> Peyton coming back is is just so big. Like when he got hurt, he had just gotten into the starting lineup. And and it's not he's unbelievable. Like I I covered him in Washington. I remember when I was covering him in Washington the whole time. I'm like, I, I have a I have an affinity for for guards who just hound guys and have been 15th men forever. And I just wait for them to find it's all about fit with those guys. Like I'm just waiting for Shaq Harrison to be the next Gary Payton the second. You just wait for like Javon Carter to finally find it with with a with a contending team that he can help, you know? And Gary Payton the second did find it. And he he had moved into the starting lineup right before he got hurt. And what's interesting is like he is unbelievable guarding the ball, no question. But like when he started in that game, you kind of thought, okay, they're gonna use him. They're putting him in the starting lineup because He's their best John Morant defender. But then they didn't use him on Durant. They had him like on the weak side because he's an unbelievable deflection guy, too, for somebody his height. Normally, like the greatest deflection guys are, are, you know, in the weak side are like like Ben Simmons, you know, where you have his length and or Paul George, somebody like that, who's just Kawhi guys who can just just absolutely cut off passing lanes. But but Peyton does an unbelievable job there, too, just taking away the corners and getting into passing lands. He was, you mentioned he led the league in steals per 36. He was second in the league in deflections per 36. For like sure. the guy, the guy is just an, he's an, if he played enough minutes, like he would be on all defense every right. single year without exception. Right, right. Guys, my quick thought on the defensive side, uh, the Celtics to me have the superior defense. The Warriors have Draymond Green. So I feel like, you know, Draymond, he he can't always keep it at level ten. If ever he's going to, you do it in the finals. Um, they can be special on on the defensive end when he is running the ship that way. Um, the Jordan Poole thing you highlighted it, Slater. You know the Jason Kidd was out here just telling the world that that you know that the Warriors zone obviously was born out of the fact that that uh, the Mavs were hunting Jordan Poole and there was nothing that the the Warriors could do about it other than play a whole lot of zones. So that is the kind of vulnerability, like you said, Fred, that that the uh, the Celtics don't have. And the Celtics will attack that too. Like they'll use Derek White as a, as a screener to try to get that stuff to happen. They'll just right. come in, send him right on the ball and use that stuff as well. Right, that is right. when the creativity of their Warriors schemes will um, need to help them where – you know, if it is Derek White as the screener, they're not. Don't switch that. Blitz that. You know, it, it's Jordan Poole. At least hedge and recover. But and I know that will be the the uh, scheme for the Warriors because they're not afraid of Derek White. Um, so 
that that's when like Derek White's I think really gonna have to like score against the Warriors or else you know the the Boston will be playing into the Warriors' hands. Guys, let's uh, let's breeze through this fourth one real quick because Slater's got to get to practice. If you got to highlight another role player that you think is gonna play a bit of an X factor here or you know just play a role, if pun intended, I guess that that is gonna play a part in this series, um, who comes to mind that that could be a difference maker here on each side? Um, you know, I'm not going to be too creative here because we've talked about we've you know talked about most players in this. I series. mean, Fred Fred's is Gary Payton the second. I feel like we can just move that segment over. Yeah, um, <laughs> I'll. I just we. I think we breezed over Robert Williams' injury issues a little bit much. The guy tore his meniscus in like late March. Got back really quick. Could you believe? Like when Robert Williams came back, and he, you're like, and he wow, runs down really? the floor like me getting out of bed in the morning right now. Like yeah, you're like, geez, like in three weeks, he's playing off our torn meniscus. Obviously, you know, there are different surgeries that, that that can reduce that timeline, including trimming the meniscus, which doesn't sound very pleasant. Um, but it's clear, like, he is really battling it because every single game, it's knee soreness. He's missed a few games. You you mentioned him limping in the last game. He left early in game six, and um, that is just not a small factor uh, because you go and look at the the game that that the Celtics beat the the Warriors um and he had four blocks in that game he was altering a ton more like the Warriors can struggle when there's a rim protector and they did with Jaron Jackson Jaron Jackson had 15 blocks in that Memphis series Dallas didn't Maxi Kleba didn't scare the Warriors at all and they were parading to the rim and Jordan Poole particularly and maybe I can rope Jordan Poole into this X factor conversation with Robert Williams if Jordan Poole can get to the rim and not fear somebody coming over weak side to, to block his shot, the Warriors offense takes it to another level. Robert Williams had two unbelievable blocks on Jordan Poole in that game where it's one of those, you know, Poole's doing some of his deke, faking, he's getting to the rim, and it's it's typically a layup, and Robert Williams flies over and just, you know, throws it away. And, but Robert Williams needs to be healthy to do that. And, and maybe the spread out nature of the series helps, you know, doesn't start till Thursday, two off days between every game, except for games three and four, like maintenance will really matter. Right. I mean, we'll probably Sam will probably be at these practices and we're always asking, you know, how's this guy doing? You know, how's he feeling? But Robert Williams health to me is just massive in this series. Agreed. Fred, I what will, do you got? I'll answer with the other side of what Slater was just saying. Uh, I'm going to say Grant Williams, because if Robert Williams is not looking himself, that's going to put a lot of 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 burden or more burden than usual on Grant Williams, who who has really become an, an incredible um, defensive big man. And, and and the difference between him and William and, and Robert Williams, I got to use full names in this one, uh, between him and Time Lord, is that Time Lord is is this incredible rim protector, and he's he's quick, he's athletic, he's versatile, but his value is defending the rim. Where Grant Williams' main value is is his ability to just be able to kind of switch and and guard away from the rim and guard in front of the rim as well, and that switching ability is going to be so important against an offense like Golden State. So if Robert Williams is not looking like himself and you have to play Grant Williams 25 to 30 minutes and he's out there and he can hit threes and he's he's guarding on these switches capably, that's going to mean the world to the Boston defense. So I'll 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 say Grant Williams. He's he's an underrated player. He's really become really good. No question. All right, my quick one is uh he's definitely not a role player, but because of his history the last couple of years, um 
Clay Thompson and his defensive ability in this series, I think is going to be interesting to watch because he's had moments where he's hanging in there. He's not the guy that he used to be. He's trying to get it back on that end. But we've seen that he he can be the guy that he used to be when it comes to going, you know, just crazy. And, and you know, it's not just game six clay anymore. He joked the other night about maybe it's game five clay, too. I mean, he offensively can just put a team to bed, go night night, like Steph likes to say. But the defensive side is going to dictate some of what the Warriors are able to do. So I think that'll be interesting. Uh, guys, on the other side of this break, we will do the final finals question. We are going to talk. I know it's cliche, but it can be fun. We're going to talk legacy a little bit uh, on both sides of this thing and spin it forward with predictions and, and essentially just analyze what it means for each of their reputations uh, if they can pull this thing off. We'll be right back. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, <laughs> I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dom- Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next, you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? (laughs) You mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, gents, let's talk legacy. And I don't want to just focus on the dudes who have been in the finals six of the last eight years. I mean, there's legacy stuff in question. You know, legacy is synonymous for reputation, basically, right? And so Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, you know, heretofore known as, and and Marcus Smart, as the group that, you know, could never get past the conference finals. They they finally did. They are here. Um, You have some greater historical context here as well. And this is the part of me that, that ends up, you know, covering the Lakers a lot and knowing 
<laughs> knowing very well that the Lakers from Genie Bus on down uh, were very proud of the fact that they tied the Celtics in all-time championships back in 2020 and got it to 17 apiece. So the idea of Boston, you know, taking the lead in that matchup uh, in terms of league history would be meaningful. Um, the Warriors, of course, trying to add on to this dynasty and to add a wrinkle and a layer that not a lot of people saw coming. Um, Slater, with your Warriors bent, uh, why don't we swing it that way? Um, you know, start with Steph or wherever you wanted to take it, but but legacy-wise, what's at stake here? I mean, from the, from the Warriors side, it's like, you know, historic, all-time, you know, top whatever, you know, top teams, top dynasties ever. This is an extension of that. From a player perspective, it's just like – polishing up hall of fame resumes and steph curry vaulting into like you know best point guard in history conversation and you know is he a top 10 type player ever like that's what's you know on the line there's you know the finals mvp thing will probably become a topic at some point deeper in the series if the warriors look like they might win it um and you know if, if the warriors win this one not only obviously you know steph in this core has four but i mean they would I I think they would immediately plant themselves as favorites heading into next season right I mean because they're going to bring this same core back and they're they're definitely going to be willing to pay everybody pay Looney pay Mr. Looney yeah if they're coming off a title you know where Joe Lickham's about to get a you know chunk more change just shoveled into that chase center barrel um they have a chance to you know at least theoretically like you know have the second Bulls type run uh you know they're already have just become the first team since the bulls that make six finals in over an eight season period um but man if they if they win this one i mean cements legacies even further like i said but also i just i mean it, this has a chance to go somewhere entirely different whereas if they lose in boston just maybe overwhelms them defensively we'll probably be going into the off season with more of a like you know, like are they are they aging a little bit more than we thought? Like, what can they can they beat those type of actors? Yeah, like, like Dylan so. Brooks said, they're getting old. Um, what about the fact that? Uh, give me your quick two cents on the, the the Durant front. You know, Tim Kawakami wrote about it this week, and I thought it was, it was a good read as always. But the idea that you know two championships without Durant potentially, um, you know that that kind of idea. That as great as Kevin is and was, uh, you know, those two titles, those three finals appearances, um, inevitably, you know, some credit was taken away from the rest of the group because they they went out and got one of the best players on the planet to help him out. Yeah, I think the way Tim put it is like they've made Durant just like a chapter within the legacy of this greatness, which, you know, no other teams really could have, you know, like the, the Thunder wasn't able to sustained beyond Durant basically um and it, you know it is I mean they won 73 games without him in an NBA record they obviously won a title and nearly won two um and and this would be quite a stamp for them I mean you know you go back to the to to the Draymond Green comment that you know kind of was the the beginning of the end with Kevin Durant when he basically on the bench was like you know they they figured he was leaving at that point but it was like leave we can win without you we've shown we can basically they are i mean you know uh does not diminish kevin durant's greatness i don't think but man it props up all the other people within this warriors operation right right draymond is looking very prescient this week between that comment and uh 
and just saying on TNT the boss Boston's gonna win. I, I, I want him to pick this series. He might too. <laughs> He's gonna try to fire his guys up and say Celtics and six. Oh wow! Imagine if he came out and did that. He's, he's I saving the matchups. I don't. I, you know. <laughs> Fred, legacy wise, uh, why don't you try to handle the Boston side a little bit? What do you see uh, at stake for them? I mean, if they if they win, it's funny because there have been you talk about the iterations with with Golden State, but Boston's kind of on a run right now that we don't deem a six year run because. They haven't actually gotten a title out of it, and this is the first time they've been to the finals. But they've been to the conference finals four times in six years, which is a pretty amazing run, especially considering even though the core guys have been there, Tatum has has grown up through that, and 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 Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart, like those guys were all on those teams. But the cores of those teams were totally different. You know, there was the Isaiah Thomas team, and there were the Kyrie teams. And there's the post Kyrie team. And now there's kind of the team with with Tatum and and Brown hitting their primes and and those guys carrying it. And now Ime Adoka is taking over for Brad Stevens. And I I just feel like this run for Boston. First of all, it's so hard to to discuss what we're going to see into the future because we've seen so many teams make runs when they're young and then for whatever the reason it doesn't continue. But Jason Tatum's 24 years old. And Jalen Brown's 25 years old. And these guys are locked up to long-term deals. And Marcus Smart just extended. And Robert Williams is it just extended. And these these guys are these guys are all locked up. Al Horford's under contract for next year. So I mean, I I feel like whoever wins this title, we're gonna come away with saying, okay, well, they're the favorites for next year, too. And as for as for this six-year run where they've made four conference finals, it's gonna put those other conference finals in a in a different light. A more if flattering they win light. This. Exactly. Right. We're going right. to then all of a sudden it was all part of about, a buildup as opposed to falling short. Exactly. Now, all of a sudden it's, wow, remember those Celtics teams that made four conference finals in six years and they won a title. It's going to be all part of Jason Tatum's legacy and all part of Jalen Brown's legacy and all part of kind of the 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 we're just going to look at it differently in that sense. And And look, they don't have to get their title this year. Maybe they get it next year or the year after that. And we say, hey, remember when the Celtics made five out of seven conference finals and got a title? Uh, it's it's just that's that's a lot. That's a lot of conference finals to make in in, also, in six years. Just, just you know, not all, you know, NBA finals are remembered the same. Um, you know, the, the, the recent bubble championship from the Lakers is probably the best example of that against the injured heat team. But, you know. And Marcus Thompson has talked about this. Beating the Warriors is such a feather in Boston's cap, potentially. Like, you know, that would just add to the weight of this potential championship we're talking about if they take down the Warriors. Totally. Well, look at what happened to the 2016 Cavs. I mean, different Warriors, 73 win Warriors. But, 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 but that, similar. That's yeah. 16 Cavs. Like, I'm a huge believer in not all titles are created equally. Like that, I'm sorry, that Dirk title in 2011, it just meant more. Right. That that Spurs title in 2014 after they lost to Miami in 13, right. they I agree. came back and, sure. and all the guys cemented their legacy with another title. Like that just means more. Uh, and and the 2016 one, you 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 beat that vaunted Warriors team. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I mean, is it, it, it depends on how they do it and we have to see how they live through it. But yeah, beating beating a team that's made the finals six times in eight years, that would be quite the accomplishment. 
All right, Slater's got to get to practice. Let's dive into predictions. Slater, what do you got? I want Warriors in seven. I think that the fact that that home court matters, obviously, and you know this rest advantage they'll have entering the series, three extra days of rest. They've they've won all three game ones in these playoffs. They've had the rest advantage, so uh, I you know you expect them to just be fresher early in the series, getting some bodies back potentially. That that to me at least tilted the scale a little bit into what I think is going to be a deep series and could go either way. Mr. Katz. I'm extremely torn. I've gone back and forth between Boston and six and Golden State and seven, just because I feel like if Boston loses game six, like winning a game seven on the road against the Warriors in the finals is just like, that's that's how about those 2016 Cavs though it's yeah, exactly, exactly what they did yeah well you know if the Celtics had Le- prime LeBron James then I would pick them to win that game uh I I I think I'm gonna go Celtics in six for now but I have a feeling that like 30 minutes after the podcast ends I'm gonna be like should have been Warriors in seven but I'm gonna go Celtics in six for now assuming those guys are healthy enough they're their defense is just so impressive. The thing that throws me off is like they have these moments where they just like they go up 13 with three and a half minutes left and they give up an 11 0 run. And I, the Warriors have so much. You didn't offensive. like those five Marcus Smart shots in a row? <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they will take bad shots. Smart will take bad shots. Tatum will take ill advised shots. They'll have, they'll have poor turnovers. And like, man, if the Warriors get off running off of that, like there's no team in the league with the ability to go on crazy runs over a minute and a half in more than Golden State can. And uh, that's the thing that keeps throwing me off. And, and those sorts of mini runs can be the difference in a game, but I, and in a series, but I think it's, I think it's Boston. I'm just I've been so consistently impressed with their defense for the last four and a half months that that I I just I keep going back to them. All right. I uh, I like the variety we have on here. So I'm I am going Warriors, but it's gonna be uh Warriors and Six. Um I can see them closing out on the road. I also excuse me, I also man, throat's killing me today. Um I feel like I'm giving a hat tip not to what the Warriors have accomplished in the past, but they are showing right now that they, by and large, they are the same crew. And, and I'm talking about Steph, Clay, and Draymond, you know, with some nuanced differences between now and, and back in the day. But you add the Jordan Poole component, things like you talked about, Fred, Gary Payton the second, Steve Kerr's impact. Um, all that being said, I mean, I go Warriors in six and I could 100% see the Celtics winning this thing if they play the best version of themselves consistently enough. If the turnovers are kept in check if the offensive you know droughts are minimal enough that they uh they don't blow a game or two along the way and i am admittedly very fired up for the environments in these finals now chase center has gotten better it's a fun place to watch a game i've complained on the pod before about how the, the press seating is pretty far away in fact i know the listeners can't see on video here but right next to me gentlemen look what just showed up in the mail sam got his new binoculars for chase center i'm ready wow <laughs> i want to get in and, and see what's happening you can't see the bench from where we sit whatever but the whole environment at chase is great the crowd's been you know pretty lit so far um the boston side you know first final since 2010 um that place is special and and unique any day of the week anyway uh but that you know the parquet the history uh you know last time they were doing this thing it was kobe bryant's lakers on the other side you know a, a pretty epic series in its own right and so uh you know you talk about a home court edge i mean shoot i, I somehow got the warriors 
winning this thing in six on that Boston floor, you know, but, but that's going to be tough. And I think environment wise, it's going to be pretty special. You, 6 p.m. tips on the West Coast, uh, which, you know, on weekdays, Brutal. I don't think the Warriors love because it's a late arriving crowd. Game two will be on a Sunday at 5 p.m. here. That, that should be fine because it's a Sunday. But the big one, Boston, Boston's getting 9 p.m. tips. Right. That could get a little wild. We're going to be right Boston. until 4 in the morning, brother. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Appreciate you. That was a lot of fun. Looking forward to these finals, and we will be back with you next week. Thanks, everybody.